This is the Clean Web Conversations podcast, growing the global clean web community. It is your host, Woon Tan. Welcome to another episode of the Clean Web Conversations podcast. I'm Woon Tan, your host, and we're here today at the Open Data Institute uh, office. And uh, in this episode, we've got a trilogue with Chris Adams and Jack Hello. Thompson. Hi, guys. <laughs> Uh, and it's going to be an interesting one because uh, it's one of our first few episodes. So we're going to try a trilogue version of it. And um, exciting, see yeah, how it pans out. Yeah. yeah. So Jack, you've been involved in over ten years as a leader in the web and data innovation, and you're a researcher, an entrepreneur, and a designer. You're actually completing the world's first clean web PhD at the University of Southampton, and you're also the coordinator of a clean web UK and the global open sustainability community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Chris, you're a developer and a product manager who's been involved in clean web since 2009. About that, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, you know you've uh, you've been involved in a number of uh, clean web projects and companies. Uh, including Provenance, Local2, Amy, Green Hackathon, and also you're a co-founder of the Clean Web London Meetup, as well as the Berlin Meetup, which uh, has recently started off. Yeah, we're doing that over in Germany as well, or at least we're trying here. So yeah, welcome to the show and... Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. The first question is, what is Clean Web? Uh, it's, it's always an interesting one to start off and um, you guys are... Well, well positioned to answer this question. Oh, Christ, now that we've said we've been doing it for ages, now we have to sound all erudite and convincing about this. <laughs> okay, um, clean web is actually a term which I think it's safe to say that we heard elsewhere, but we really, really liked, uh, as it was a good word to describe this kind of intersection between kind of like web tech and sustainability that both Jack and I have a kind of shared interest in. Um, I'd say the initial phrase comes from, I believe it's Sunil Paul at Spring Ventures. I think he's the CEO of Sidecar, which is another kind of clean Silicon Valley. Company. Valley yeah. 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 Uh, Collaborative, well, sort of Uber-like, I guess. Yeah, you could imagine, um, you could think of Sidecar as similar to Uber in that it's a startup which allows people to drive, who have cars to essentially make use of those cars to provide transportation to other people, uh, possibly in cities which don't have particularly good transportation themselves, uh, saving people from buying cars in the first place. I imagine that's probably the angle they, they'd be taking here. Yeah, the word was coined um, a few years ago, and uh, we, when we were basically... And I guess it, it comes from clean tech meets yeah. web, which a lot of people find a bit confusing, mm. uh, especially, I guess... Clean tech means a lot to people in Silicon Valley. It doesn't necessarily mean that much to people, but obviously, clean tech is was a word that sort of came emerged. I think around from from around the year two thousand, meaning sort of environmental technologies or a new wave of technologies such as uh, renewable energy and other sorts of technologies that use resources more efficiently and reduce the environmental impact of stuff. And so, yeah, it came from sort of mashing up these well. Sunil was seeing the mash, you know, what the web industry in, in, in Silicon Valley could do to contribute to the sort of stuff that the clean tech industry that's also in that, that sort of part of the world was also doing. So I guess that's, that's, that's where the te- term came from. But actually a lot of stuff was happening here in London in this sort of space before that sort of word was adopted. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the, one of the nice things is it's a really, really catchy word to describe the stuff that people have been working on 
in this field for, field for some time. I mean, James Smith, who you spoke to before, he mentioned that I think he was working on a talk called Carbon Dying before, which was essentially it's a bit like quantified self, but for carbon, uh, you know, CO2 a few years ago, where he would uh, he would track all the things he eats, all the things he travels, all the things like that, and he'd work out the actual footprint of doing all this stuff. So he could work out his kind of personal footprint. And the idea being is that you'd want to reduce this so you have something like a diet, really, mm. in the same way that people have a kind of self-improvement uh, in motivation for wanting to eat slightly less food and control their portions or going easy on, uh, on, on the pies or stuff like that. That James was working on things like that for a while, and there have been lots and lots and lots of initiatives and programs and tools and web services and things out there. But it seems like t- 2000 was a big, was a big. 2007 was a big year here. But mm. I think Amy and Loco Two were both founded. So Loco Two, yeah, Loco Two has been going for. I think yeah, they, they the initial idea was. Um, God, I really should know this. So I did some work with him. I thought it was, well, maybe I'm thinking of another one that was 2007, yeah. So yeah. It's a, so it's a long time before, because I think it was 2011, possibly, that he yeah. gained, coined the term clean weather. Exactly. Uh, there is, um, I guess, it, one thing that might be interesting in this field is uh, there was an event called Gikyoto, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> basically uh, nerds who have an interest in sustainability had a kind of conference, and people really got into this idea and, and were chatting about this. And something came, and uh, that's where a lot of the stuff in the UK, at least. I mean, we can speak for the UK because that's what we know, really. I mean, there is definitely other stuff happening elsewhere, probably earlier, but that's what we know. And uh, Key Kyoto was probably where lots of people who were kind of inclined in this area first met and started doing things with each other. And then Sonia, uh, um, someone else comes up with a, you know, Sonia Paul comes up with a fantastic term, Clean Web, which is really, really nice and catchy. And there's two syllables, and you can spell it, and it's good on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> there was a presentation called um, Why Clean Web Beats Clean Tech, which is a really, really interesting, slick, pr- 40, I think 40-minute-long presentation explaining some of the roots uh, of this term and how it's a combination of both clean tech and the web so taking some of the really some of the positives of of, of, of clean tech uh, so you know energy without the massive environmental impact of coal or things like that but and combining that with the very very low startup costs and this and the quick speed to market of web and things like that really and uh, I think that's where the word has come from and it's slowly starting to go into the kind of vernacular of tech but it's very very early days I'd say mm. absolutely yeah. so as the term was being coined, how how has it changed? Has it attracted a different set of people, or do you, is it um, compared to? Well, compared to when when there wasn't one, I guess when, when I guess what I'm saying is, has the has the term allowed more people to be involved, or a wider range of people to get involved? In? I hope so. There is. I think we're at, re- to be honest, I think it still feels really, really early. Mm. Like, you see people working in sustainability and especially in the clean tech sector, they're starting to use this term more and more and more. And you'll see a few organizations which are kind of jumping onto this term. And uh, in America, at least, it's a very, very useful term uh, for kind of, firm, you know, VC for, uh, for, I guess, VC firms and investors and, and private and private sector companies which want to possibly distance themselves from some of the less less attractive or less positive connotations of clean tech because when you think clean tech in many cases you'll often think of huge upfront investment you'll think of like NIMBY wind farms which take 10 years to get built because of you've got because you've got objections and, and, and planning and everything like that so it's 
I think the phrase, the idea of kind of clean web. I think there's other words. I think earth tech or digital energy is another phrase I've used. Oh, I've, I've heard people yeah. use. Mm-hmm. I think it's a way. It's a way to capture some of the sustainability fi- themed fields, but also capture some of the excitement of the web of being as this kind of massive lever for, for for changing how industries work or changing how we relate to each other or, or just our activities uh, with very very little money and without having to. Uh, and where you can see the results far, far quicker than having to wait 10 years for your wind farm to turn on before you realise that, oh, maybe that wasn't, the, maybe we're not going to get a return that w- the return that we wanted to get or anything like that. I mean, I need to croak, I need to kind of put up right now. I don't really work in clean tech and I'm probably doing a terrible disservice to the industry. But that's the, when I've spoken to people who actually do use the term, uh, that's the main thing that I've seen come, mm. that, that's the main distinction I've seen from there is the excitement of web with some of the upsides and the environmental positivity of clean tech, really, and some of the, well, you know, kind of, I guess, fetish, fetishization and interest in technology and hope there. <laughs> Plug into that yeah. razzle, <laughs> razzle dazzle and profitability <laughs> of those web companies, which um, yeah, hasn't been so reflected in the. It's been a lot of disappointment about the clean tech sector after a lot of excitement about it, sort of in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. <laughs> so, when you think of clean tech, uh, from an investor's point of view, yeah. Mm. So from an investor point of view, you've got um, you know wind turbines, wind turbines, and solar are very, very steady, not super profitable, super exciting things. Whereas people get very find it very easy to get excited about Twitter and Google and <laughs> Facebook and IPOs and uh, and things like that. It's a you look at the time taken to get your get, get your returns. It's pretty fast, or it's less slow than building loads and loads of big solar panels in places or things like that so I think that's part of the that's that, that, that's part of the motivation I think the, 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 the point about the, the speed of return of investment is more because mm. clean web itself is based off IT and IT is almost by definition exponential growth and whereas it can clean tech grow. is a lot to do with hardware yeah. it's bits it's versus it's atoms isn't it absolutely yeah. 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 yeah it's much easier to kind of change things on a server than it is to Rebuild roads mm. or things like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, that that that's part of the excitement, I suppose. And in principle, there's an awful lot of inefficiency mm. to be cut out, and a lot of it comes down to sort of making things more efficient. A lot of uh, other making things more efficient. I mean, there is a whole bit within clean web that is very much specifically focused on clean tech and sort of the people call like the catalysis of clean mm. tech things that support um, the rollout of clean tech. Um, such as you know, sort of crowd things like Solar Mosaic and We Share Solar um, and uh, Abundance, who sort of help you crowdfund so to install solar in a particular place. Yeah, so there's uh, yeah, or Trillion, yeah, yeah. They're sort of connecting the the funds and yeah, these guys. What they do is they rather than only being able, they, they provide another source of funding for people who want to set up, say, a solar farm or something like that, or a wind farm or other ways of generating power. Uh, that that mean that you don't have to actually have to have like coal-fired power stations built or things being centralised in say the big six or the big four energy providers. So this is one thing that you probably see. In, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm currently living in Germany, and they've, there is a kind of shift from having a few very very centralised power stations uh, and people who have traditionally not invested so much power in renewables to having a much more distributed uh, distributed way of, of getting power where you don't need quite so much power. You don't you don't you don't need to raise quite so much capital to actually put, put solar on the ground and as a result you don't have the concentration of power uh, at literally but you know I mean political power but also electrical power within these providers so you have something more of a kind of market here rather than just a kind of oligopoly of a few, of a few people and uh, 
I think that there are, you know, clean web companies mm. like that. They speed this along because they mean that it's it's a very interesting particular strand within it, which yeah. is it's sort of the the Jeremy Rifkin lateral power thesis mm. and sort of drawing this analogy between processes of democratization of power that comes with the web and information is, is democratized and you can access it in a way you know you can very easily learn about a disease rather than having to go to your doctor to learn about it or you download music potentially without having to buy a cd or whatever um, so this sort of process of democratization there's an interesting analogy there between that and the sort of distribution creating a more distributed mm. power system which is kind of, I guess, what you're yeah, touching on a bit. Exactly. Which is, uh, actually, it's been very popular in America, even at sort of the top of the White House. Um, there's a lot of some, quite a few people have sort of latched on to that sort of strand of thinking coming from Jeremy Rifkin and an interesting clean web sector. But that's only one part of the piece. And I think clean tech, as I say, sort of catalyzing clean tech is only one one bit. And, 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 and clean web can mean many other different things. Just before we move on from this subject, four feet away from there, Open Utility, who are doing looking to do something very much like this in the UK. You really should speak to them. They'd be fantastic to talk about this and probably much more erudite than us. Absolutely. One of them has a PhD in this stuff, whereas uh, I don't have one yet. Jack almost has one, but we're not there yet. James also almost has one. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah, so let's let's move on to some of the examples of the, the clean work company. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, I guess what we could probably talk about, or what might be useful for explaining some of this is thinking of some traditionally quite energy-intensive activities and how they are changed by the web, for example. Mm. That might be one way of presenting it. Uh, I probably could point to, in the UK, uh, one company that I'm fairly... Uh, I've worked with before, uh, and I'm kind of fond of because they're cause lovely guys and girls, is, uh, is Loco2. Jamie and, and Kate Andrews set this up a, while, um, a few years ago now, uh, and their goal was to basically make it really, really to make basically booking train travel as easy as booking fl- uh, booking, booking flights. Because when you think about going on holiday in Europe, it's very, very easy to think, oh, easy to get Ryanair. You know, Ryanair, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, it's, it, it's, it's gonna be so cheap and so simple that I will actually put it with horrific customer service from Ryanair. And with EasyJet, you know, I'll, I'll put up with. You know, it's really, really straightforward for me to just think, oh, I'm going to be in Barcelona tomorrow, or I'll go to Berlin here, or I'll go to something like that. Whereas if you try and do any kind of surface transport. Traditionally, it's a really, really horrific experience. And what these guys did was uh, they basically integrated all these European providers of rail to make the experience pretty seamless. You say you go to like loco2.com and you type in, I want to be from London to Berlin or London to Barcelona, and they'll link all the places together and they'll give you uh, a clear way to do that uh, where you can buy tickets and have them either sent to you or have you know print, print, printable tickets that you can put on an iPad or a phone or something like that. And uh, what they're doing is basically trying to allow you to make the same kind of travel, but or travel to the same places, but in a vastly or in a much more environmentally uh, friendly way. So we're talking like maybe eighty percent or more in some cases when you're looking at uh, the comparison of going by train compared to going by plane. And uh, that's one thing that they've been doing for a while. And they've, I think, they've just gotten a recent hiring spree. But they're they're an example of what I would class as a clean web company. Another one. Uh, which is tied to another, another form of surface transport, cars, blah, blah, car. They're, they do a, a similar thing too. They, if, if for people who are travelling between two cities, for example, especially in Europe, uh, if you're going from, if you're travelling between, say, London and Manchester, the idea is that you can say, well, I'm going to London, Manchester, who else wants to live with, with me, right? Now, this is not a new concept, carpooling, but they've been able to execute on the actual online service and product so well that they've been able to grow quick, grow fairly fast and actually it's amazing they've got 100 
yeah. get a million in funding. That's yeah. So that's they recently closed. Um, a, um, a, 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 I think the largest ever um, venture capital investment by a French startup, French tech startup. You know, full stop. Not just kind of like clean web. Uh, they uh, that was announced only a few days ago. No, I think a couple of weeks ago now. Mm. But they're an example of taking something you do transport, which is tr- is traditionally very very energy intensive, and finding a way to still make it attractive, but uh, have a vastly reduce the environmental impact of doing so. And then across the pond, Jack, I'm probably going to let you talk about Sidecar and Zipcar because I've been talking far too much, and you've, you're fairly familiar with these guys too, I suppose. Well, Sidecar are here, and uh, Zipcar are here. Yeah, aren't they? I think they're in London. They're not, they're not elsewhere. I think they're primarily in London. I think. And so I mean, Streetcar are based in London. Zipcar are the, um, are the American brand, but they bought Streetcar. Oh, Streetcar. Yeah, Zipcar bought Streetcar. Yeah, yeah. But they're called the, the branded Zipcar here now. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's, so that, to me, that's sort of cl- classic collaborative consumption, the idea that you, instead of owning something, you can have access to something as a service and basically share the ownership of it um, or avoid ownership altogether. And that was a very exciting idea from an environmental perspective because the idea is we could move away from this sort of very consumerist material, materialist perspective, actually in a very literally sense, the materialist perspective where we have to materially own, physically own the material in something to feel like, you know, we, we, we get what we want. We can basically get the, the benefits of, own, of ownership without having to own it. And so in this case, you have a fleet of cars around London. And instead of owning a car, in theory, you can just go and hire one at a moment's notice using a, a nice app that makes it really easy to use, easy to book, easy to access the car, find out where the cars are, and also um, even open the door on the car, which is pretty impressive, just from the app. And you go in, and and that way, you, in theory, you don't need to own a car. So it means it means that you can get some of the benefits of ownership without having actually. So the number of cars that need to be bought to service that many people is hugely less, and also parks and all the other sort of resources implications that come with it. So that's 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 the benefit. That's the promise. And, and, and it, probably worth talking about. Um, Shall I chat a bit about sidebar, sidecar, and Uber at this point because they're kind of a similar ilk. You know they. They're sometimes considered, or so there's kind of a conversation about these guys as also collaborative consumption and companies to reduce the impact of mobility in this fashion. Uh, you know, Sidecar and Uber both have this idea that if you own a car, you're able to basically share access to that, so you'd be driving people to uh, other places in a similar way to a little bit like Zipcar, but where Zipcar maintained a, f- a fleet of cars. The idea with Uber or Sidecar might be that you yourself are. You have a car, uh, and then you're using uh, and you're driving other people around uh, to do that. Now, it's a bit of a contentious issue, this one, uh, for various reasons, but it doesn't stop them getting you know, absurdly high valuations about how, because it's a, in many cases it represents a change in how people perceive well, mobility. It's, it's all it's doing is disrupting the taxi market yeah. and, replacing it, and replacing it with um, a sort of a, a different way of doing things, which is centred in Silicon Valley, largely disintermediated. I mean, th- this idea of disintermediation is a bit of slang, but the idea that you get rid of the agents, whereas you'd had a, a taxi company like, say, Addison Lee before, who'd, who, the way, you see it across lots of industries, where there, there were I- a- previous markets with agents in, and you can move to a place where there still is an intermediary, because it's often the website or that system, but it's often automated, there's not necessarily a human being involved, yeah. um, so it's not really disintermediation, it's kind of a re- reduced intermediation. Um, this is intermediary, and um, yeah, we, we, so we're, we're seeing this effect of the. Web. I mean, the web has disrupted so many different industries, and it's often with this sort of process of disintermediation. Whether that has anything to do with the environment is is the moot point. Personally, I wouldn't see Uber in that light. Um, I mean, what would you say to that? I think you, 
you have to build less cars to get people around. I'm not really I'm sure I kind of class it as a specifically a clean mobile company set up with that kind of goal. Mm. But it's a it's interesting and it's kind of unavoidable. There's this kind of sense of inevitability because they have so much funding set aside to the, uh, being thrown at them at the moment to be, and to, to expand so far. I think one thing that's probably interesting is that in America, there you, I, th- I think in cities which are really, really well served by public transport, so like uh, in in London at least, uh, or lots of European places, lots of European cities which do have very good public transport, Uber isn't such such a real such a thing yet, I suppose. Whereas in America, if you don't traditionally have that kind of very, very, if you don't have public, such good public transport, and traditionally you haven't because there's been a much stronger focus on owning your own car and rely and relying on that as your way of getting around. I think. Uber serving a city versus everyone else buying their own car. It represents a... But it's just taxis. Yeah. In what way? It's just taxis. What's different? It's a different way of doing taxis. Yeah. But it's no, there were always taxis before. They're slightly it's, cheaper taxis. Mm, yeah. So it's hard to quantify the environmental impact at this stage. It's, it's always very hard. I mean, the yeah. quantification of, of the environmental impact is a very difficult thing to do, and, and we might probably touch on that in a bit more detail but yeah I mean it's my gut instinct is yeah I couldn't I can't really see a, a decent environmental narrative around that I can with blah blah car potentially mm-hmm. which is ostensibly somewhat similar it depends we'll have to see how sort of, you know, I guess it's it's really whether the sort of market creates does it mean that people who were already going to be going from A to B then um, do it with fuller cars because that's that's certainly good for the environment. Or does it mean that then people you can start driving around yeah. Yeah, more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and actually creates a market mm. which displaces people from public transport uh, where they'd previously taken a coach or gone to Loco 2 to buy mm. a train ticket on a train that was already leaving? So, so these are complex questions, really. But yeah, I can see more of a sustainability narrative around blah, blah, car than I can around Uber. I think this is a good point to talk about Airbnb, actually. Yes. that's kind of a... That's definitely collaborative consumption. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't say everything that is collaborative consumption is, as we kind of talked about, is, is, is necessarily sustainable. For me, for me, clean web, there are many, many trends mm. across what the web is bringing. And collaborative consumption is one really interesting one, and there are many others. Net and all jets. of them yeah. work quite. Collaboratively owning your own private jet. Net jets, right? That's like... A perfect example of collaborative consumption. Not convinced it's a really green company. And there's lots, yeah, around sort of luxury, luxury goods, like yeah. sort of like uh, jewelry and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, consider it. Well, you know, you could make an argument. One could make an argument. You know, when it comes to, it takes I don't know how many tons of oil to mine one diamond or something. Um, so you know, this is part of the problem. Why we there? Why, why you said? Why was it not quite sure what the kind of definition of this term is? Because there is a as soon as you start looking at this stuff and you try and look at the environmental side all these other difficult awkward questions come up and it's really really hard to have a, and it's very easy to kind of just get torn uh, caught up in that stuff there uh, so I don't have a good answer to that I mean uh, this is something that me and Jack have gone back and forth with before lots and lots of times and other people as well so I think so I think it's important I think it's good that we're starting to that we talk about the environmental impact and the wider societal environmental impact of web companies I think they certainly have it it is very difficult to quantify when you have these things called rebound effects which, which make things very complex it becomes very difficult to say with accuracy but I think it is very important to try and think about it and even try and quantify it because because they are having big effects and they are changing things and, and they are very disruptive as you say and it's important to think about uh, the effects they have on the environment and on people for that matter you know if you're if your particular industry is being disrupted you're going to know about it as well yeah um, so 
so there's examples of transport and how Klima might apply to transport and mm-hmm. what effects are and how that seems quite cloudy, but at least there's something there. Uh, it might be worth talking, I guess you were asking about Airbnb as mm-hmm. an example. Uh, and Airbnb is an interesting one because they've re- released a report in the last few days about how how, how travelling with Airbnb or using it or the, actually I think it's time to, yeah here we are right in front of me, a greener way to travel with the environmental impacts of home sharing alright and this is uh, this is produced by Airbnb and uh, there are the idea, one of the general ideas is that if you have people you have to explain what Airbnb is? Yeah, that's probably worth yeah, yeah. I probably should do this, so Airbnb is a service that lets you as if you're travelling, you can rent someone else's room or someone else's flat when they're not around or they're around, instead of having to go to a hotel or a hostel or, or, or something else like that. And the idea being, some places, uh, if you if everyone's just using everyone else's existing homes, you don't need to build new ho- new hotels. You don't need to build all these new structures. So you save all these resources from having to build a massive new hotel complex. All right, that's some of the idea behind Airbnb. And also the thinking is that. Because because houses are built with different priorities than uh, large hotel complexes, they may be more optimised for you know a greener way of living inside there. You know you, you're not going to be using quite so much energy because it's your own house. You don't have to be paying your own energy bills in the same way that I guess those those that energy isn't really visible to you as an owner of a lot, as someone who's working inside a hotel complex or something like that. That's some of the idea behind Airbnb. They've recently they've recently released a report about this and quantifying some of this and they're saying things along the lines of. You know, the properties that guests that Airbnb guests use tend to be greener. Uh, they, I don't think they actually tried to work out the. They, 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 they don't, I don't think they tried to put a quantity on the energy saved by not building hotels in the first place. But they did look at things like uh, reduced water use, reduced energy use, uh, and uh, reduced waste. So there's a few things that they definitely can they, they can do in there. It's really interesting that they're actually talking about this because previously, it's not something. It's not a real angle that they pushed before. And uh, Airbnb have been often been cited as a really canonical clean web company when they have really used the term themselves before. Yes, and in effect, although they're not necessarily using the term clean web there, they're, 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 they're putting a flagpole mm-hmm. to make an environmental claim, which is, uh, I think it's, it's great that there's a narrative and there's a story and there's a, at the beginning of a conversation around sustainability in web companies and not just the impact, the immediate impact of their IT and we'll be talking about that a bit um, but it's actually the sort of societal impacts of that of that use so I think it's great that there's a narrative there around that at the end of the day this is a report that's produced by Airbnb themselves and therefore you have to take it with that pinch of salt and but I, I think it's it's the beginning it's the beginning of that narrative and I think it's great also that Airbnb is is, is entering that conversation I'm a happy user of Airbnb I'm just going to say yeah I think it just I mean it makes a lot of sense and in some cases but the sun doesn't shine out of this house it's been uh, it's been good for my health because yeah. everyone I've ever stayed in has been right on the seventh floor yeah. with no lift. <laughs> so I had to keep pretty fit going to them, but they're they're great once you get there. But yeah, so I mean, we've talked about rebound effects and why things why why it makes this stuff complicated. That links us into talking a bit about the green IT world where people are, yeah have been and this I know is something you're particularly interested in, Chris, about oh, I'm totally reducing the impact so. of. IT itself because well, yeah. because it can't you know IT can't go and try and change the world without getting its own house in order first can it really pretty much yeah I mean you think about um, computing IT as a, as a sector is now two percent of global emissions and growing faster than aviation right so it's like a you're still you know like like Jack says there's a there's a clearly non-zero impact of putting everything into the uh, into the cloud I mean. The cloud sounds really nice and uh, sounds really like ethereal and like there's this thing in the sky which doesn't have any impact. 
uh, no, the cloud is built of servers and built servers are powered by energy and energy is nearly always generated by burning coal and uh, coal is and not a clean fuel and indeed you see a lot of the biggest server farms in Virginia right next to where they practice this incredibly destructive mountain top <laughs> removal coal mining and so coal is dirt cheap uh, even though it's incredibly you know it's quite a hot place well, this is exactly it. It's, it's hot, so not only are you kind of chucked, getting loads of coal out of the ground and all the environment impact there, but also you're doing it in a really, really hot place. You have to kind of whack the aircon really, really hard <laughs> in the summer, to make yeah. sure you're sort of, to keep your service from melting inside the rack. And it's right? all about cooling. Yes, yeah, so, exactly, yeah, so you've got loads of energy use in yeah. both cases. And uh, I guess this is an interesting thing. You can touch on this now when uh, when you look at because there's lots and lots of companies which will very much you know, trumpet their green credentials as in, yeah, we're a really, really green game centre, we're really, really, really efficient, all right? And there's a very good reason to be efficient if you're running a data centre or if you're, a, if you're a cloud company, because after staff, usually energy is your second highest cost, mm-hmm. all right? So you're going to, you will want you want to do everything Thanks possible. your competitive advantage. Yeah, exactly. And like this is, I mean, yeah, you, you touched on competitive advantage. This is exactly the case of Google. Google, they're doing really, really good stuff in this area. They, they are, them along with Apple, are probably the leaders in terms of using clean power for, uh, for their data center, which is, which is great. I really, really like that. Uh, but at the same time, one of the, re- I mean, uh, this is actually their competitive advantage in that uh, they, a lot, of the actual, a lot of Google's IP is wrapped around their, their, their proprietary data center design. And uh, you'll see, you, you see people like Facebook and uh, Microsoft looking to, they're, they're, they're making movement, but they, they are doing things in this area. They, there's a project called Open Compute, which is very much we're going to show we're going to share how to make our, our, our data centers super green and super efficient too. And in many cases, that's to close the competitive advantage. So again, it's a really, really good planet-friendly thing to do. But it's also there's a very, very good strategic reason for doing it. And it's not just we're making the world a, we're only doing it in altruistic terms. But I think that's actually fine. You don't have to be totally altruistic to have a a, a good positive, up, impact, yeah, positive yeah. impact here but when it's presented as we're doing this out of the goodness of our own heart that's not always the truth and uh, that's that's before you start thinking about the impact of well if services if it's really really cheap to actually have put computing into things then and if computing is getting more and more efficient then it, there's, there's a very real cost and there's a very risk that you just increase the demand for computing and you end up, end up with way more slightly more efficient computing which still uh, and you are I mean obviously you are yeah the the capacity is what doubling every year year and a half and um, it's it's perhaps the archetypal example of Jevons paradox yeah the paradox of making things more efficient so yeah but uh, but I mean yeah I mean and we've kind of touched on that already but um, but there are other things that that can be done I mean because there's yeah for instance if you can get all your energy from renewable energy then the impact of the energy is massively reduced anyway. So it's got the, you know, these wonderful things like green clouds and other server farms that are now based in places with high levels of renewable energy and also places that are very cold um, because cold is it's all about keeping cold in these data centres. Um, and and um, that makes a, a massive difference. And, and, is, and, that, and I think that, that that's certainly a real difference combined with the efficiency. That, that makes things, you know, has a real impact on the environment. But Reduces the impact on the environment in a real substantial way, but then you also need to think that IT is—it's not just about the lifetime use of the energy. It's very much about the materials and things that go into it, and also the disposal afterwards, and how efficient and, and what the impact of those those things are. Um, social impact as well, because a lot of the materials come from conflict regions and things like that. So, so there's a lot of different things to think about. In 
in the interest of time. Um, so for people who are interested in Clean Web as a movement, what's the best way to get involved? And how, how do people find out more? Depends where you are. If you're... So if this is going to be anyone in America, uh, Google Clean Web, what's probably going to come with Clean Web Co, cleanweb.co, which is a uh, organisation that... Where, which is run by two people who are um, led by two people, Chris George and Blake Burris, who are doing a really good job of uh, getting people running events like hackathons and helping people set up communities over there. The, um, there's also like and an around the world, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and also you know uh, uh, around the world as well. So uh, they uh, that's probably one of the first places to look, and that will kind of list that lists all the communities that are that they're aware of, and uh, in, in, say for example in in, in in America, various parts of, of America, in China or Mongolia or anything like that. Um, if you're in London, uh, we've been running a meetup group called, uh, I say we, uh, I used to help run a meetup group called Clean Web London, which was essentially people in London who have this interest in web and sustainability meeting on a monthly basis to help have talks and, and, and generally bump into other people with, with, with a shared interest, like yourself women actually. Yeah. And if you're in, I, um, I I live in I live in Germany, and we've got a meetup in Berlin. Uh, there's also another one in Munich as well, run by a guy called Julian von Blocher. And uh, there's also there are also people around around Europe as well. So in Barcelona, there's a guy called Oriol. Oh God, I forgot Oriol's surname. Pasqual. Pasqual. He also runs a he he runs an equivalent to that in Barcelona. And uh, Germany, lots of countries around, and Belgium also has a because of Luak Bar. So there's a number of people around Europe who who also do this, and I guess there's lots of similar institutions out there or organisations that perhaps we're not even aware of. I mean, I know in, in California there's there's Data Science for Sustainability, which is um, really quite active in Silicon Valley um, or in San Francisco Bay Area. Um, there's also Geeks for Nature, which I think is out there, which does something mm. somewhat related, um, and you know, there are various other sort of similar bodies. So yeah, just do some googling and see what's nearby. Get in touch with um, you know we're always happy to hear from people um, at CleanWeb UK or get in touch with the CleanWeb.co guys. If you can't get enough of kind of weekly talks and presentations and things like this, then there's a guy called Tom Raftery who um, run, uh, at the website GreenMonth.com he runs a Tech for Good podcast, which I found quite useful. It's a it's, it's um, basically a weekly roundup of the interesting links and interesting events that have been happening in there, and uh, he's been doing that for. Got donkey's years now, actually, and it's a it's pr- it's a really nice intro because you don't have to be super, you don't have a huge background for him to actually to, to, to get something out of it. And also, Thomas is extremely knowledgeable. He's run like a high proficient data set. So this is a kind of cloud geek coming at me again. He's been running that for a very. Um, he used to run very, very, very efficient data centers in Ireland, and he has a lot of background in this. And um, the analyst firm Redmonk they have a kind of sustainability theme arm, which uh, is what Greenmonk is, and they're also a good a, a good source of interest of interest from there. I'd say. Cool. Um, so, for both uh, for people who are interested to follow um, both of you, what's the best way to uh, the best thing Twitter? to do? Yeah, I'm. Uh, my name is Chris Adams. I'm Mr. Chris Adams on Twitter. So, Mr. Then Chris Adams. Uh, that's probably the best way to reach me first. Whimsical stuff like that. Um, I run a website, chrisadams.me.uk, which is a lie now because I live in Germany and I haven't changed I haven't bought chrisadams.de yet maybe when my German isn't so embarrassing I might do that but right now those are the two best ways to, uh, to reach me uh, yeah. yeah and uh, what about yourself Jack yeah just uh, Twitter Jack uh, Townsend Jack Townsend underscore and um, underscore at the end uh, yeah I think that's uh, that's a really good sort of uh, nice introduction to some of the clean web uh, companies and 
the whole movement itself. And yeah, thank you very much, uh, cool, Jack and Chris. Thanks, it's been fun. For listening to the Clean Web Conversations podcast. Are you interested to learn more about the Clean Web movement? Head over to cleanweb.tv. That's cleanweb.tv.